Well, this morning, as we gather together, we are in, we are going to be in Joshua chapter 5, and uh, we are going to go through the whole passage this morning. And, but before we do, I want to leave off where we, I want to go back to where we were last week, just so that we're all on the same page. So last week, what we talked about was the fact that Joshua was leading individuals, the, the nation of Israel, over the Jordan. So they are now moving from a land that they have spent 40 years in, in the wilderness, and now they are moving over into this new land, this land that was promised to them, promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, promised to Moses, promised to God's people. And so this is a, a new adventure for them. But before they go, they know the Lord has, has told them, informed them, that they are going to be facing many, many challenges ahead. And as they face those challenges, their failure or success will be dependent upon two things. Number one, the Lord's faithfulness. Now, when the Lord is faithful, the Lord is always faithful, mind you. As the Lord is always faithful, if that was the only thing that mattered at this moment, then we know that we would always have success. But there's always a second part to this. And that is the Lord is faithful, but are we going to be faithful? Right? Are we going to be faithful? So the Lord will always be faithful. He has a plan. He has a promise. He will not fail. However, there's this second adage that if we fail in our faithfulness, then we can stumble and we can fall and then we can bring ruin upon ourselves because of this. And so the path is very clear. Are we going to stay on the path? And so here in chapter 5, there are preparations being made. And so what we're going to see is that truly the Israelites crossing the Jordan are going, is a, representing a new exodus. They are now excising from or leaving the wilderness. Okay? And so that's where we are at. And so what I'd like to do right now is I'd like for us to pray, and then we are going to jump into Joshua chapter 5. And we are going to look at rebirth, we are going to look at renewal, and then we are going to look at recommissioning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we walk through this passage. And I, Father, I pray that as we read these stories, we are both reminded of the Exodus, but we are also reminded of our own salvation in Christ and what it was prior to our uh, trusting Christ, being saved by Christ, knowing that Christ, uh, in many ways, has, uh, has, has allowed us to return from exile, in, in many ways, from our sin when He saved us and brought Him into, a, into Himself. And so, Father, I pray that we would, um, we would remember this as we go into this passage. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. I want us to read that real quick together. It says here, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea 
heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of, because of the people of Israel. So now you have these, these massive group of individuals that are now that have crossed the Jordan, and they have crossed the Jordan by the power of their God. The Lord has enabled them. And so what the kings are seeing here, they don't simply see a nation encroaching on their territory. They see a nation with the power of God leading it and the wind in its sails. And, and so you can imagine the fear and the dread, the trembling that is occurring in these nations that are coming because Yahweh and his people are on the move and they are going if he can if he can take the natural order and manipulate it to his will allowing his people to cross over and folks he did not hold back this I, I want you to imagine first of all we think of like the like the Red Sea for instance when it was parted all right 40 years prior when it was parted for the people of Israel and the pe- for the people of Israel to cross, we imagine that to be some sort of like moment, like, well, maybe that took like 15 minutes. Folks, now, they did not probably cross at the widest point of the Red Sea. It was probably a very narrow point, all right, where you could see the other side. However, it was still the sea. And as, they cr- as the Lord parted those waters... It was not just a jolly few that was crossing over the Red Sea. It was millions of Israelites. It would have taken a very, very long time. I mean, I think about just trying to get to work at 7.30 in the morning, going from Lawrenceburg to Frankfurt, and I'm just trying to get past Walmart in Frankfurt, right? It takes a long time just for 50 cars. We're talking about millions of people the Lord had parted that water for all those Israelites. This would have taken a very, very long time. It would have been a massive miracle. The same with the Jordan. The Lord parted the Jordan River, and it stayed parted for a very long time, enabling those individuals to cross on dry land. And there's something else that we, don't, that, that we also don't uh, mention very often, but I think it bears for us just to say this is that the symbolism of, of the Israelites walking across on dry land. It does not say that the Israelites crossed over on muddy land. Okay? Now, I know we don't think about this very much, okay? But just imagine that even if it dries up, when the water's dry, like if it starts, like if you ever go to a pond that the, it hadn't rained in a little while and some of the water has receded and you go to the edge, it's not dry there. It's soggy. And in fact, you'll get your foot stuck in the mug and mud and lose your shoe, right? All right? And so if the people had walked across the Red Sea or the Jordan and the, it was muddy land, it would have been a, just an absolute mess. When the Lord parted the waters, they were walking across on dry land. It was like solid ground that they were walking on. Because whenever we follow the Lord faithfully, we are walking on what? Solid, firm ground. And that's what they were crossing on. And so the Lord parted all of these waters. And so that right there would have put fear and dread into the nations that they were, they were coming upon because they know that the Lord 
is with them at every step. And it says, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. I think that we ought to just remember that, is that, and this is an aside from our message this morning, but this is sort of an introduction to this passage, all right? It's a, it's a new section in Joshua, uh, is, is this, is that oftentimes we get really worked up about those who are against us, all right? Though we're worried about individuals who would oppose us, who would hold against us our faith. Sometimes we concern ourselves with the fact that, well, if I am completely faithful to Christ, that this could end up damaging me, this could end up hurting me, this might not go well with me, and, and we get nervous and anxious about that. We should always remember that God is with us. When God calls us to follow Him, He does not call us to follow Him, but He's all the way up in the distance where we can't see Him, and He's just, it's not like that. When the Lord calls us to follow Him, we are following, but if we keep our eyes set on Him, we will always see Him. It's kind of like when the Ark of the Covenant, when the Lord said, let the Ark of the Covenant go before you so that you can see where, we, where I am going. God did not want His people going to the left or the right. He wanted them to stay on that path. So He leads us, but He stays close enough so that we can set our eyes and know exactly where our footsteps should be following. We're basically, I don't, when you were a kid, I don't know if you, when you went to the beach and your father was walking in the sand, or your mother was walking to the sand. In my case, it would have been my mom because my dad's feet are like this small. But it, when a parent is walking in the sand and they make footprints, right? And what will happen? The kids come behind and try to step in the footprints. Or in the snow, you're walking ahead and the child is going behind and they're stepping in the footprints, right? Well, that's what we're doing. As the Lord is moving in front, before us, we're following in. Not just, we're not just following on the path of the Lord. We are placing our feet where he is tread. That is our aim. And so the Lord is going before and it is putting terror in the eyes of the nations that they are moving in on. However, before they move into this new land, there are some things that need to be done. Because if you remember, the people that are moving in to this new land are not the individuals who left Egypt. This is a totally new group of individuals. This is 40 years later. And so this is a totally new group of individuals. So we're going to re read this. And I want us to look at this sort of as a rebirth, if you will. This is a new exodus. This is a rebirth. So let's read Joshua chapters, chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua... Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeth Halarath. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people, walk, people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. 
the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children who he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So let's review. The Israelites, by, under Moses' leadership, are able to flee Egypt. The exodus from Egypt occurs. But then shortly after that, very shortly after that, we find that the Israelites start going their own way instead of the Lord's way. And they start worshiping idols and they start behaving like the nations around them. And the Lord is very angry and the Lord punishes them by, remo- by not allowing them to see this promised land that had been made to the forefathers. So they were, I mean, here's the thing. If the people had continued to keep their eyes on Yahweh and continue to follow him, then they would not have had to suffer the wilderness. They wouldn't have had to suffer that. They wouldn't have been exiled to the wilderness for 40 years. And some, why 40 years? It took 40 years for all those adults who had committed that sin to perish. So the ones who, now God is still faithful. Because his promise will still be upheld. His people will adopt this new land, but it will not be the parents. It will be the children. And so the children that were born in the wilderness, they had yet to be circumcised. So this is a very young nation. This isn't, just a, this isn't a bunch of old men and women that are crossing the Jordan into the Canaan. This is a young generation. In fact, most, if not every one of them that are crossing over the Jordan, they're under 40 years old. I know, that's really young, isn't it? (laughs) They're crossing the Jordan, they're under 40 years old. And so Joshua has been commanded to circumcise these individuals, the men that are getting ready to cross over. Now, let's just, I, I, I entitled this section, Rebirth. Because what's going on here, remember that circumcision was an outward sign of what's going on in the inside. Okay, So the outward sign of circumcision was a mark, it was a symbol that these are God's people. These are God's people. And so it's a very, circumcision is a very intimate process, a very intimate activity in a very intimate spot, a very sensitive area. And so by doing this, God is marking these, these people as his people. If you will, he's in, I don't want to say he's starting over, such as, you know, like the flood. But what he's saying is, we are going to, now you are going to succeed where your parents have failed. Your parents were not allowed to cross the Jordan into the promised land, but you will be allowed to cross the Jordan. And he says this, 
um, it, it says, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And so the Lord swore to them that they would not let them, he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers. And then at the bottom here in verse 9, it says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. If I could say it this way, I have, through this circumcision, I have now cleansed you of the reproach or the sin of the idolatry that caused ruin to your parents and your grandparents. I have removed that sin. You are now my new people that we are going into a new land. That is exactly what has happened to us as Christians. Prior to us coming to Christ, we are stained and covered with the reproach of our sin. All of it. We're, we're covered in it. We are, in a very real sense, wandering in the wilderness unable, not allowed to see or enter the promised land until that reproach has been removed from us. Now, in Joshua, that reproach is symbolically removed as God marks those children, that new generation off for himself. You are now my people. But that was symbolically because something was going on in the inside saying, you are my people. And that is what happens with us. Now, the analogy in the New Testament to circumcision is baptism. That is the outward symbol that the reproach of our sin, our time in the wilderness, has been removed. And we are now rebirthed into this new creation, allowing us... To not only see the promised land from the other side of the river, but one day to enter into the promised land and enjoy all the fruits that come with it that we're going to read about in a minute. This is a pivotal moment in Israel's walk with the Lord. And our coming to salvation is the initial moment or the initial that, that that pivotal moment in the Christian's life when God removes the stain of sin and reproach and allows us to enter in to his kingdom. And that's why we call it rebirth. When we call it rebirth in the New Testament, it's because we have once and sort of like you know Nicodemus had issues with this, right? All right, they they all had issues with it. All the Pharisees did. They said how can a man be born again? How, how, how do you enter into, the, into your mother's womb again? And he's like, oh, bro. I mean, can you just see him just slapping his forehead? Ay, me. He's like, no. You are born once from a woman. But when we come to Christ, we are reborn. And some say, well, that's just a metaphor. In some sense, it is because of the language that we use. But in a very real sense... It's not just a metaphor. It is literal. 
when you come to Christ, you are a new creation. You have been reborn and you are a new creation. When a caterpillar changes from a caterpillar into a butterfly, all right? Some will use that analogy as the Christian. Before we, are, before we are saved, we are the caterpillar. And after we are saved, we are now this beautiful butterfly. I get the imagery. I get it. And maybe it works with a child. But what I want to tell you is this. Is that it's still the same creature. We call it something different now. Okay, It's no longer a caterpillar, it's a butterfly. But it's still the same creature. What I want to tell you is that we are no longer the same creature. The caterpillar, when it becomes a butterfly, it has the same exact DNA as it did before. There's no difference in the DNA. It's not like all of a sudden the DNA changes. Spiritually, when we are reborn, our DNA is completely different. We no longer simply have human sinful blood coursing through our veins. We now have the blood of Christ that is covering our sin, and we have the Holy Spirit filling us, filling that gaping hole that was leaving us lost and dead. We are reborn. And symbolically, that is what's going on here. And again, this is a new exodus that is occurring in Joshua. But in a way, when we come from death to life, when we go from death to life in our Christian walk, that is also an exodus. We are leaving the wilderness and moving on into this new creation. Let's continue. And the second point is renewal. So after this, after they had healed, they celebrate. And I think you'll recognize this. It says in verses 10 through 12, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after Passover, on that very day, They ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. There is so much here. An entire sermon could be preached from this one passage. So let's just take a few points. I call this renewal. Like in the Exodus, we see that as the people leave Egypt into and crossing the Red Sea, what do they do? They perform the very first Passover. They celebrate what the Lord had done by reenacting that with unleavened bread. Correct? The same is happening here. It's a new Exodus. We are crossing the Jordan... And through that exodus, we are celebrating the Passover. So we're reenacting it. 
And so that's what the Lord has called them to do. So they are worshiping. They are worshiping because God has now brought them to this new land, and they are on the plains of Jericho. They may not be able to see the city yet, but they are on the plains right there across the Jordan. And it says this, and this is why I call it renewal. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. For 40 years, the people of Israel survived on manna and quail as it had been given to them. And they weren't always faithful in the wilderness about how they ate the quail or ate the manna and how much they kept for themselves, were they? And so they lived for 40 Remember, these, these children that have crossed the Jordan, newly circumcised, don't know of anything else. So when, when the Lord promises milk and honey, they're like, what is that? What's that? I don't know what that is. Is it like manna? You know how when they say it tastes like chicken? They probably want, does it taste like manna? Does it taste like quail? Because that's all they know. That's all they know. But now as they've landed into this new land, flowing with milk and honey, it says that they ate of the produce of the land. They have eaten the food, this milk and honey, that had, and, the, and the fruits and everything that comes with it, that the Lord had promised them. How amazing would that first meal have been? Something brand new. Something completely... You know what? They didn't even know they were sick of manna. I, in fact, it says here, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. I bet you those individuals never ate anything like that ever again. I, am, I ate that for 40 years. I'm not eating it anymore. But more importantly, this produce that they were eating was symbolic of this new life that they are going into. This new land, this new life. And so there is new food with a new life. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When we come to Christ, there is also renewal. So we are made into new creatures. We are reborn into new creatures. And we are renewed. And the scripture says that we are not just renewed momentarily, but we are renewed daily. Daily, every day is a new day to follow Christ more faithfully, to follow Christ more obediently. Did you have a bad day yesterday? Did you walk in sin yesterday? Did you, did you do something? Did you, did you live yesterday for yourself instead of for Christ? Well, if you did, there's a new day today. And if today we fail Christ and we go our own way, guess what, folks? Tomorrow is a new day. Every day is a new opportunity for us to be faithful to Christ. Sometimes, and I do this, I'm really bad about this, folks, is that I, I, I love seeing the big picture. I love seeing the big picture, okay? 
which means I love seeing ahead. This is why I like writing grants at work, because I like envisioning what's going to happen three to five years in the future. But sometimes when we do that, if that's all we do, if that's all we do is look at this big picture, sometimes we can get so tied into that that we fail to realize that we're living also in a moment. Every single day is a new day. And so we take little steps of faithfulness. And new fruit is born out of that. And we are renewed. And finally, they were recommissioned. So they have been circumcised. They have been renewed through this worship, this Passover, this new food representing a new land. And now they're going to be recommissioned. And it says in chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the Lord, of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua, after his time of worship with his people, lifts up his eyes and sees this daunting figure with a drawn sword. Now this would put terror in many individuals' eyes, and we can tell this from Joshua because he asks, are you for us or are you against us? Now, let, let me just say this. If the Lord is for us, then there is nothing that can stand against us. Nothing. Now, for us as Christians, we know in Scripture that it says, in fact, that the Lord is for us. In fact, I have to believe that as Paul is writing those words, he's imagining this, this right here. He's envisioning this picture right here, that the Lord is for us. He is not for our adversaries. And so Joshua says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? But let me flip the coin here. If the Lord is for us, then nothing can stand against us. But if the Lord is against us, we will not stand. We cannot stand. It is impossible. It is astounding to me how many individuals who are enemies of the Lord. They don't consider themselves enemies of the Lord, but anyone who is not of Christ is an enemy of Christ. Let's just be very clear. There are no fence riders here, okay? There is no room to, to, to sit on the fence. You are either for the Lord or you are an enemy of the Lord. 
And there are so many enemies of the Lord that are trying to kick down doors and beat against walls, and it is fruitless. It is fruitless. You will not be victorious. Going your own way will not ever bring success. It will not. It absolutely will not. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he simply says, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now at this moment... Joshua falls on his face, prostrate, on the ground, and worshipped. Now, it does not say that he worshipped him, the commander of the Lord's army. It just says that he worshipped. But I think that it is interesting here that, number one, that he does that. He recognizes who's in front of him. He falls down and he worships. And the response from... Now, we know in the New Testament there were times when people would fall down and worship. And what is the response of either the angel or of the human that is getting worship? It is, no, you shall not do this. Only the Lord is to be worshipped, right? In this case, it says... Joshua says, what does the Lord say to my servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua... Take off your sandals from your feet. He does not reject the worship at all. And I believe, folks, that this is a moment in the Old Testament where we have what's called a theophany. Okay? This is called a theophany. And so what this is, is this is where God is represented in a physical form. We see this a few times. In the Old Testament, there are some that believe that the fourth person in the fire in Daniel, so when the three little Hebrews get tossed in the fire, when Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fire, there's a fourth individual in there. That fourth individual, many people believe that that was a theophany. In fact, some believe that that was actually Christ All right, in that fire. I, I, I don't think we have enough inf- information to argue that, but what I think that we probably can say is it very well could be uh, God in a, in a physical form at that moment. We see that, uh, that Jacob wrestles with God. That he, he wrestles with God. That didn't turn out well for him, but he wrestles with God, right? Walked for a limp after that for the rest of his life, okay? And so we see this several times in Scripture, and we probably even see it in the garden. We probably even see it in the garden. Either a pre-incarnate Christ, and which that sounds odd that we're talking about this, but likely in the garden we have a theophany. God, it says God walked with them in the garden, right? And so that's what's happening here, I believe. I believe this is God represented in the flesh during this moment, approaching Joshua, saying that he is the commander of the Lord's army. And he says this, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, if you did not believe that this was a new exodus before, this should alert you that this is exactly what is happening now. Because the only other time that this occurs prior to this is in the exodus when Moses flees his, the, the Egyptians, right? And he comes across what? The burning bush. The burning bush. Now, I have to admit to you, 
just as an aside, and I, I, I hesitate saying this to you all because I'm afraid that this is what you're going to think of whenever you think of the burning bush from here on out. If you ever watch The Three Amigos, which to this day is one of the greatest movies, the greatest comedies ever made, there is a scene with a singing bush that is supposed to represent sort of like a spoof on the burning bush. So whenever I read about the burning bush now, I think of this bush singing instead of just speaking. Now you need to go back and watch Three Amigos and it will ruin you forever. Okay, But that, that is when we hear these words before. We hear these words, take off your talking to Moses, the Lord, all right, speaking from this burning bush that doesn't, that, doesn't get, um, that doesn't get completely burned up. He says, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. What this commander of the Lord's army says, for the place where you are standing is holy. It is supposed to be uh, uh, looking back. All right, looking back to the, to the Exodus, but it is also different. Now, the majority, many commentators believe that what this, this either angelic or divine character was saying was not that the place where he was standing was holy because the commander of the army was there, but in fact, this land that has now been given to the Israelites, it is to be called holy. Because this land is the promised land that was given to the people of God. Now in the Exodus, when you have the burning bush, when the Lord said, Moses, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground, there really was nothing special about the ground that Moses was standing on. It was just dirt. What made it holy was who he was with. Whenever we come in the presence of God, we are standing on holy ground. But in fact, in the new land, in Canaan, the commander of the Lord's army is making a point in saying that this entire land has been set aside set apart for God's people. And that's what holiness is. It is being set aside. You are set apart. It is different. It is other. It is of God. It's hard to describe really what holiness is. So when we say you need to be holy, you need to live a holy life. You need to be holy as I am holy. We see that in the New Testament. Well, what is the definition of holiness? Now, there are a lot of dictionaries that will try to come up with some sort of definition. They'll have different words in there like pure or not sinful, you know, good. But for the Christian, for the Christian, the definition of holy is not a thing. It is not a behavior or anything like that. The definition of holy for the Christian is a person. It is Christ. So when somebody asks you, well, what does it mean to live a holy life? It means to look like Christ. That's what it means. And so when the commander of the Lord army tells Joshua, the place that you are standing is holy, what he's really saying, 
in those few words is he's saying, the Lord has called you out and circumcised you, making you his people. He has renewed you by giving you new fruit from this land. He is going to sustain you with the blessings of this land. And now you are to walk in a holy pattern as you have been called, as you have been commanded. Because this land is not the wilderness that you were once in. This land is a holy land. This land is a land flowing with milk and honey. And this land has been set apart for the people of God. As Christians, we are reborn into Christ. We are renewed daily, given the fruits of each day as the Lord blesses us with them. And then we are commissioned to not just preach the gospel with words, but to preach it with our lives. We are commissioned not to preach of Christ, but to live for Christ in everything that we do. I will close by telling you this. Um, yesterday, Crystal and I uh, ran out to the store real quick to get gas and milk and, you know, stuff like that. And so we, we got out of the house and, and did that. And um, I ran into Walmart, um, or, or Kroger, I should say. We ran into Kroger and got our stuff and was getting out of there. And, you know, as you're, as you're going out, you're just kind of like one-track mind, right? And there was this elderly man who was in one of those uh, scooters, right? Um, and uh, he was getting in it and, and everything. And, and you could tell that, uh, that he needed that scooter. Sometimes I wonder who's in those scooters. Do they really need it, right? When I see somebody my age who looks in better shape than me and they're in that scooter, I'm like, really? Really? So anyway, but this fellow needed that scooter. And as I was walking past, I didn't really give any. I just noticed him and I just kept on walking. And he said, hey, son. And I turned because I figured he was talking to me. I said, yeah, yeah, how can I help you? And he says, let's see, how did he say it? He said, do you want some good news? I said, well, yeah, what do you, what do you got? <laughs> and he handed me something. Now, folks, I'm just going to tell you, I'm really gun shy when people say something like, you want some good news? And they start handing me like papers because I think they're Jehovah's Witness. And then I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this discussion right now. All right, I don't have time to give you all the tenets of Christianity in these next five minutes. My wife's out in the car, and she needs me to come. But I looked on it, and it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was given by, by Crossway, the same folks that, that published this Bible. And he said, I want you to read that. Read that good news. I want you to pass it on to somebody else. And I said, I absolutely will. And so I took that little, that little track. And I walked out, and you could tell that it made his day to be able to hand that to somebody and share, literally share, the good news. And as I was writing this sermon, I thought about that. And it made me happy to think of that elderly man who still had a passion 
for sharing the good news of Jesus. Even while on a scooter, I'm sure he was busy, but he had that ready to hand that to me so that I might read it and come to Christ. He didn't know me from Adam. Or I might be able to take that and hand it to somebody else. And I guarantee he didn't expect me to be preaching about it this morning. But I also felt just a little bit of shame. Is that here I am, 43 years old and in pretty darn good shape for my age. And that fellow on his scooter is more active in sharing his faith throughout the week than I am. As a pastor, folks. And I'm sitting here thinking, I've got to get with this. I've got to get with this. We have been reborn. We have been renewed. And we have been commissioned to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be coming up with a little bit of a plan for us as a church to help us, be able, all of us, to be able to share the gospel in simple ways, just like, maybe it's just tracks that we can hand out. And if that's all we're doing, all right, at least it is something more than what I am doing right now most of the time. I want us to be following Christ. I want us to be energized for Christ. I want us to be excited about not just living for Christ, but also sharing Christ in everything that we do. I want us to, in a sense, be recommissioned, to be energized. Every day that we live is a new day and a new opportunity to tell somebody what Christ has done for you every day. So let's not waste it. Everything that we do, let it be about Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you. And we ask at this time, Lord, that you would be with us as we worship. But Father, that you would be with us as we walk through our lives and that we would be alerted to our need to share the gospel, to tell the world about how we have been reborn, about how we have been renewed, and to tell the world about Christ. Let everything that we are and who we are be about Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.